friends, great to be with you again. Great to be back on the Bible Project Daily Broadcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, for however long it takes. Today we're going to close off the two days we've spent working through Genesis chapter 47, where we've been considering the sort of this situation where Jacob is seen to bless his sons and uh, what we can make of these unequal inheritances that he gives them. So I'd like to remind you that if you're here for the first time, then why not make a commitment to join us on this journey and make not just the reading of the Bible, but the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And you can do that by just subscribing so that you receive the podcast and you don't miss an episode. There's also a uh, copyright free, a transcript of everything I've said, as well as other resources. Everything I create, I put, put in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you want. You're free to download it, use it uh, for the creation of your own study materials or just in your own private study time. Either way, I just trust that you'll be blessed by, by approaching God's Word uh, systematically in the same way that but anyway that's it by way of introduction i'll pop back at the end just to close off for you but other than that let's let's launch off and continue in the text of genesis chapter 49. so at this point we're going to look at and continue looking at this inheritance speech of jacob as he continues to speak out these blessings or otherwise upon his sons and we'll pick it up in verse 13 where it tells us Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. This is simply saying that Zebulun is going to get a piece of land and that territory is going to stretch from the Sea of Galilee in the east and spread inland west to a point a place identified as Sidon. Now we know that that's about two-thirds of the way across the land from the Mediterranean about two-thirds of the way towards the Sea of Galilee. Experts have said that this land, by the, the, the mention about the ships, it probably meant that this land came with some rights of access to the Mediterranean Sea, which of course would have made it valuable. Verse 14 tells us about Ishakar. Ishakar is a raw-boned donkey, lying down among the sheep pens. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labour. So again, we've got to realise that there's poetic language being used here. And what he says about Issachar is again a case of using figurative language to describe him and his personality. And the fact that been references made here to him having immense physical strength. He's as strong as a dunks, it's telling us. That's figurative language, of course, commonly used to describe strength, sometimes a stubborn strength, but strength nonetheless. It also describes the situation as lying between the sheep pens, which experts think means that he either settled in the country where sheep were plentiful, or at least it's suggesting that he's going to live in or amongst an agricultural people. Now in verse 15 it says, the rest was good and the land was pleasant. Now the Hebrew word to describe resting here, Bible experts say it's talking about being in a comfortable, a relaxed, a 
agreeable state. But please note they also say that it is suggesting more than that. It's suggesting that there's a sort of a lethargic attitude here, that he was perhaps unambitious. Probably means he's telling us that yes, he was strong, but also he was lazy. It meant that he was willing to work hard at times, but in reality, he always couldn't wait to kick back and rest. What it is suggesting and what is seen is that they were prepared to sort of work in a way where they exerted brute strength and force, but there was always a situation where they were led into becoming a toiling force for other people. And because of that, the descendants would be seen to become, in a sense, like a band of slaves. And this passage in Issachar is seen by many as a warning against aiming low or basically selling your talent. One commentator said that Ishikar preferred a life of idle luxury, so much so that it reached the point that they were willing to trade their liberty for material things instead of using that ability to build something and to work for themselves. Ishikar and his descendants would be seen to end up working for the Canaanites for just for food and for rest and shelter. And this was considered, well, a complete reversal of the relationship that maybe should have prevailed between Israel and the Canaanites. The Canaanites should have been the one that end, the ones who ended up serving them. Now what we've done so far up to this point is we've just gone through the children of Leah. But at this point in verse 16 we're going to talk about the children of the concubines and then later on we'll get to the children of Rachel, the other wife, the one that Jacob, it was said, loved first. So let's pick up at verse 16 where it talks about what he says about Dan. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. That verse stands alone slightly from the others, doesn't it? But what it's saying about Dan here is that he would is like a serpent, a small animal, a small but still could take down a horse and a rider. The tribe of Dan was small and the portion of the land that they got was on the small side as well. So much so that they didn't like it and they spread and moved north. And because of their face qualities, they were able to pacify that part of the land. But they were also able to protect Israel from some of the people who lived on the northern side of the nation. Therefore, what this passage is telling us, I believe, is, is while apparently un unimpressive in terms of their number and the era they initially occupied, nevertheless, they were a dangerous adversity for anyone who would come up against Israel and anybody approaching from the north initially would meet the tribe of Dan and by that being the case, they were able to protect Israel's northern border from invaders. But remember, Dan are the ones who will be seen to lead Israel into idolatry. And therefore, in a sense, that's probably prophetic in that the characteristics they are described as are those of being a serpent. And in that extra verse, in verse 18, Jacob seems to be asking the Lord to, although addressing the benefits they bring in their, their fierceness and their ability to protect the nations, he's asking the Lord to deliver his other descendants from this negative aspect of Dan's influence in the future. Okay, that takes us to verse 19 and 20, 
which is Gad and Asher. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich and will provide delicacies fit for a king. Now Gad's name literally means trampled underfoot. However, though that might be their their situation that they face, God will allow them always to counterattack. Now Asher, this one's a little more tricky. Let me explain. Asher, by living in the fertile part of the Promised Land, was able to supply food and delicacies for the whole region. The whole region that they lived in was bordered by the on the west by the Mediterranean Sea, and when you enter when you enter the land, there was a mountain range in the middle, and then there was the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan, and in the Dead Sea in east. And it seemed that these bodies of water served as a sort of protection around the land from the other side of the River Jordan. Okay, just a short poetic verse about Naphtali. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Now this is a verse which Bible scholars have struggled greatly to accurately translate. The first part of the sentence is straightforward. Naphtali is compared to female deer which has been set free. So a sort of positive poetic line there. But the second verse part of the verse is a little less clear. The words literally mean gives beautiful fawns. However, similar Hebrew words are used to describe people who use flowery speech. And that is why some translations render this to mean that Naphtali's tribe will be the people who produce beautiful words. But it's hard to know exactly what it means here because there's no question that Naphtali's descendants would be seen to settle in the mountainous terrain, which is a region associated with deer and other similar animals. So on a very practical level, it may just be talking about their reputation for being free-spirited and being mountain-dwelling. That would fit well with this prophecy. The rest of the passage down from verse 22 to 26 talks about Joseph. It says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the sky above blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and the womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Okay, that's the, the main, the most flowery and the most striking of the blessings, isn't it? Now, according to verse 24 at the beginning, Early on in this section, it's showing that Joseph will indeed experience and has experienced hardship. But through it all, the Lord has and will continue to strengthen him. And his blessing will continue to come and will exceed the blessings of his ancestors and what he's experienced so far. And his blessings will be extended to the borders, as it's described, of the everlasting hills, indicating that his blessings will not only affect him, but the whole land will be blessed through him. We've certainly already seen that in Egypt, haven't we?
if you think back, Abraham, a couple of generations back, he had one son to inherit the promise. Isaac had two children who inherited the promise. But Jacob here uh, is practically more blessed than any of them because he has 12 sons who are destined to become the 12 tribes of Israel. So these blessings are going to be poured out potentially on all these sons. But here Jacob's saying the main blessing would be on the head of his son Joseph, on the one, on the head of the one who was separated by from his brothers and who suffered. He's going to be blessed by God in the future in a way that will even outshine the blessings he's already experienced in his life so far. But an important point I feel I need to make at this point is have you noticed that no direct spiritual best blessings are mentioned in this passage. All the blessings being described here are blessings about land, about property, about prosperity and about the numbers of children in the family and how widely those families, tribes, nations will spread. And this I believe is because spiritual blessings are never seen to be an inheritance. It's important to notice that because we do not actually inherit spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings we only receive as a result of our faith, of how we each individually live our life and our own personal relationship with God. But anyway, we see here that Joseph is going to be abundantly blessed in terms of land, property, family, etc. One more, Benjamin. Benjamin, it says, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey, in the evening he divides his plunder. The tribe of Benjamin will be seen to be bold, strong and successful, successful in warfare and, and plunder, but at the same time they can be seen to be cruel. In other words, Benjamin will be successful in terms of his plundering his foes, but at the same time will show fierce aggression to the point where he's described as a wolf. Okay, that's it. That's the sons and the different blessings and prophecies given over them and their futures. But there's a final concluding verse to close this section, which simply tells us, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. So this summary verse is simply saying that Jacob here is blessing these 12 sons who represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now Jacob clearly knew his sons better than they know themselves probably. He knew which ones would be strong, which ones would be victorious in the future. He even knew which ones were lazy. And I suspect that even if you're a father of many children like he was, it's not hard to figure out the different personalities and characteristics they will have. And they are seen to each be blessed according to their individual merit. The inheritance you need to note is not equal across the board. Some will even get disinherited. Some will get an abundance of blessing, but some will just get ordinary blessing, but all depending on how they live their lives as individuals. So I believe some total of this passage exists to teach us and remind us that the Lord blesses all his children because of course they're all seen to enter the land. But the extent of the blessing they will receive after that is dependent on their individual obedience and their dependence on the Lord. 
I'll just repeat that because I think it's important. All of them will get blessed in the sense that they will all enter the promised land. But after that, the blessings received are dependent on how obedient they were and how they lived their life of faith. And I believe the same applies for us, friends. Okay, let me conclude by just making some final observations. Firstly, we can see that each brother and therefore each tribe is seen to have its own distinct characteristics. Some are seen to be industrious, some are seen to be lazy. Some are seen to be puritanical in the way they live and others are seen to be sinful. Some are peaceful in their approach to life, some are aggressive. Some were philosophical and some were more practical and industrial. But none of these shortcomings stopped any of them entering the promised land. Each of these tribes, yes, they had the family characteristics, but there will be no exception. Each tribe will have access and will gain entry into the promised land. But beyond all that, I believe this passage illustrates that whilst those general principle is true, it's not automatically true that there will always be like father, like son. You see, some of Jacob's sons here in the stories that we've covered in the book of Genesis, in this closing half of the book of Genesis, they seem to be not like their father at all. They do things that Jacob is described as a boring. In those cases, they are seen to act out of their own sinful nature, not out of how they've been nurtured, not out of their upbringing. The individual flawed sinful nature won over their actual nurturing on those occasions. And I believe that is a secondary message of this passage. And perhaps it can be a comfort to parents who may be struggling with their own children at this time. I think I do need to point out that this chapter, I believe its main point, is to illustrate the wider concept of inheritance. And that's where I want to think about as we close out our time together. Because remember, I did say all the sons and their descendants, they get to enter the land, but not everyone gets to receive an equal share of that inheritance. All 12 sons received the benefit of the covenant. They were all allowed in the promised land that they were blessed in that they were allowed to enter in, which of course tells me that all of God's children today are blessed in that they will be able to enter our promised land and when we die, we can be with the Lord forever. We all at least get that much of inheritance. If you've trusted in Christ and are following him, you're going to get to heaven. Nothing can change that. But at the same time, I'll even greater further inheritances that come in eternity are based on our obedience. Therefore, obedience and living in faith in this life has both present but also future consequences. All of Jacob's sons were seen to be blessed that day in one way or another, and they were all allowed to enter the promised land. But once in the land, they did not all receive an equal blessing. Some are even passed over at that point, and while others are elevated to positions of leadership, and some even are given extra blessings, and one is given a double blessing. Joseph and Judah are seen to come to the fore. In fact, it is Joseph who receives that double portions, but he also gets to see his own sons elevated to the position of receiving an equal blessing to his own brothers. 
Now, many Bible experts look at this passage and suggest the scope of these prophecies extend way beyond what was happening here in the history of Israel, but they extend right into our millennial age and into the future end times as prophesied in the Bible. And clearly God did not fulfill all these prophecies completely during the lifetime of Jacob or the sons. I do believe that some of them will not be completely fulfilled until the end times. Many look at this passage and read it as a far off view of what will happen when the Messiah eventually comes, when Jesus returns. But that's beyond the scope of what I want to talk about here. And I will address it when these issues are directly addressed when we work through the New Testament. And next time we are going to, when we close off Genesis, we're going to be going in into the New Testament for a season and looking at the Gospel of Matthew, where we will see Jesus teach extensively on this issue. But today, I think the most straightforward application we can make from this passage is this simply it's teaching that those who trust Christ will indeed get to enter the kingdom. In the sense, we are all promised that inheritance. But once there, some will gain an abundance in the kingdom, the double portion, if you like, the blessing of the kingdom, and some will get disinherited from any future blessings in that place. They won't receive what are sometimes figuratively referred to in the New Testament as the crowns of life. You see, there's a difference between entering the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom. You can enter a house, but not inherit a house. And all who trust Christ all get to enter the kingdom. We're saved for eternity to be with the Lord in that place and we're saved from a place of eternal torment. But some, when they get there, will receive further abundant blessings and some will gain a modest inheritance when they get there. And some will receive nothing more because of the practice of sin in their life. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob gave one son a double portion, and we see three disinherited altogether, and one is given a sort of leadership role of a priestly class. Reuben, the firstborn, would normally have been entitled to a double portion, but because of sexual immorality with his father's concubine, was disinherited completely. Jacob, in fact, told him he was unstable and would not benefit from his sexual immorality. The leadership of the tribes then went to Judah, the priesthood, the Levites, and a double portion, that which should have been given to Reuben, ended up being given to Joseph. So the application here, I believe, is really very simple, very clear. If you've trusted in Christ, friends, you're going to heaven. You're going to enter the kingdom of God. There's no question about that. You have it and you have that securely. But Jesus did say that when we get there, some are going to have authority. Some are going to have authority over 10 cities. Some are going to have over five cities. And some are only going to get there just by the skin of their teeth. So this illustrates to me that all believers have an inheritance, but not all believers receive an equal inheritance. But it also tells me what that means for me in this life is that we should strive to receive that greater inheritance. Which is why Jesus taught us to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven. And we do that, friends, by living in faith, living in obedience, and sharing God's love 
and God's blessing with others. And that's how we gain an inheritance over and beyond the right to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, that's it for today. Hope you find it helpful. We're really in the back straight here, aren't we? We're in the closing off of the book of Genesis. We've just got uh, the death of Joseph and some funeral planning and some end time stuff to tie up. And then we'll be finished in season two of this uh, journey through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I hope you're enjoying it and benefiting from making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. If you are enjoying it, I humbly request that you like it, share, subscribe, review, whatever way you can to help other people have the opportunities to be impacted by the teachings of the Word of God as seen in the Bible. It's a real blessed blessing to me to do that. Uh, if you're being blessed by it, then please, in whatever way you can, enable other people in front of other people to give them that same opportunity. But thanks again, friends. Thank you for joining me. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to become part of this community. Thousands of us studying the Bible together every day, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's such an encouragement to me to know that there are so many of you out there who are following along in this series. And I do hope you'll stay with it. Now for me, I'll be back here tomorrow. For you, it'll be whenever you next receive that notification or open up the podcast. But I look forward to seeing you again. I look forward to learning, to seeing what God will teach us, what we can learn as we progress through the Bible together. But for now, bye-bye.